Uh, for those of y'all that don't know me, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and we're so glad to have all of y'all here today with us. So glad that all of y'all are here. I'm, I'm especially glad that there are two people that are here. My mom and my dad are right here. So y'all are my family. So I would love for you to uh, meet them. I mean, I'm so glad. A year ago, they were here. And so it's good just to have them back. So thanks for making that trip. If you would, uh, bow your heads with me. Let's pray, um, and we'll go to God's Word. Man. Father, again, we um, come to you right now, and our prayer is that uh, you would set the agenda, that we would calm our hearts right now, and we would prepare to hear from you, God, more than needing you to respond to us Uh, uh, Lord, we need to hear what you say so that we can respond rightly to you, Father. I pray that as we rejoice on the work that you've done, uh, that you would be reminded that there's still more work left to be done. It's clear and apparent in the world that we live in, God, and the places that we lay our heads at night, that there's plenty of work to be done. Thank you for calling us to be a part of that work, Father. And now as you speak through your word, I pray that we would take it as just that, not the musings of Um, somebody that's up here, but the God, the creator of the world, taking out time to speak to us, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, You know, time, time has a way of eroding things. One of the things that time erodes or changes or breaks down is this sense of amazement. Right? There's things that the first time that we see and experience them, we're filled with all of this joy, right? We can't wait for the first day of school. We can't wait for the first date with uh, so-and-so. We can't wait for all of these things. But then it seems like the more and more that we get of that thing that seemed like it was so good at, at first, the more and more that time goes on, the more and more that time just has a way of eroding it. Now I can't wait until the last day of school, right? I don't want another date with them. I, I'm just ready to be done with it. I just feel like all this amazement has been lost. And so here's one of the beautiful things about things like birthdays, uh, anniversaries. What they do is they help breathe brand new life into things that we may have lost our flair for, right? So we kind of go and we live through life, but then on your birthday, right, it is still just a day. The sun still comes up in the east. You may still have to go to work, but there's an extra pep in your step. Why? Because it's your birthday, right? It's a time that you get a chance to sit back and evaluate and to rethink, right, life, Um, One of the things that my wife and I learned from a couple that is very, very dear to us that we've done since the first year of our marriage is on our anniversary. We go out to eat, and as we eat, we just talk about this past year, right? We have these goals that kind of serve as a grid through how we want to live our lives, and we rate ourselves on each one. How did we do there? Right? Did we do good there, not so good? What things have you done well this year? What things can you grow into. And so what that does is it just takes the ordinary things that come with life that tend to lose their flair 
and it reignites that. It reminds us that we have something valuable. Life can tend to become ordinary with time. Sometimes we just need to take a step back from life and look at the life that we have and remind ourselves what we have. And so this is as good of a week as any for us to do that. That as a church, the one thing that we say, right, the grid that we think through that shapes the way that we live our life is God's word, how we treat God's word. And one thing that I know about all of us is this. It's easy for us to become used to. It's easy for us to lose the excitement of the fact that the God who created the world actually speaks to us through his word. It's easy to become spoiled or get entitled to the fact that we have God's word and God speaks. That the Bibles that we have at home, they collect dust. The Bible apps that we put on our phone that are, and engage, and it holds as much attention for us as the notification that comes up that says that somebody liked our tweet or our post, and we click on that, and what takes place is we have God's word, but it's easy for us to get distracted and sidetracked. You know, one of the things that started the French with passion was that there were people in the streets starving but there were people with power that had all this access to food and they were feeding cake to their dogs while people were dying. There are people literally all across the world that are dying to hear God's word. And for us, it holds as much weight at times as the notification bar that pops up on our phone. Right? It's so easy for us to get used to the fact that God speaks. But that's not saying that we don't want God to speak because I think that we do. But here's the problem. I think that you and I tend to want God to speak on our terms in our time frame. Here's how you know that you kind of fall into this place where you want God to speak on your term or in your time frame. Have you ever said in the morning, I would have prayed, I would have spent more time in God's word, but... I had all of this to do, so I just had to rush. Or what do you tend to pray for? What does your time look like? When you want to hear from God, is it primarily that you want an answer from God for all the things that are already starting to go on in your life? God, I need you to help me instead of God, what do you want from me? It's so easy for us to become entitled to the fact that God speaks and to put him in a place where we primarily want him to respond to us instead of us responding to him. And do you know what that leads to? A group of people that say that they know God, that say that they want to hear from God, living lives that are very directionless. And when I say directionless and aimless, what I'm not saying is that we don't have goals for our, our career or we don't have goals for all the things that we want to do and all of our hopes and dreams. We have all of those. There's vision for all of those things. But do you know what? There's not really a clear sense of calling for our Christianity and our faith and the things that God wants us to do, the way that God wants us to live. And we can kind of fall into this place where we become apathetic to the things that are on God's heart. 
it's not that we're not filled with concern or that we don't care or that there's not things that keep us up at night. It's that we have things that keep us up at night, but they're just not the thing on God's heart. That we tend to find ourselves going to home, sleeping soundly while the world around us is going to hell in a handbasket. We live in our worlds. We do our own things. We talk to God when we want to hear from him, but we avoid the fact that sometimes God says very hard and challenging things that are meant to shape us, but we ignore that because we treat God's word primarily as the source for our answers and not his agenda. We hear stories of people that do radical things for their faith, put their lives in harm's way for what they believe, and it surprises us. It inspires us, and we think, man, I wish that I had what they had inside of them. But that's supposed to be normative Christianity, right? The normal Christian life is one that doesn't value security and safety above all else. It's one that recklessly throws their lives away for God's will. Primarily because and I think it surprises us. Primarily because we've become so accustomed to hearing God's word that we've gotten spoiled. And it's easy for us to look at the world through our eyes. And so what we want to do as we head into year two at the life of the church is we want to take our time and walk through the book of Jonah. And what we're going to find there is a man that's just like us, that has been accustomed and used to hearing from God's word. But God wants him not just to do his will, right? So the big bottom line for this whole book, and I'm going to reveal it to you right now, spoiler alert, is this. God wants more than compliance from you. Do you know what God wants? He wants to produce compassion inside of you. Because if you have compassion, then that's going to fuel all of the things that God wants to do. But if you don't have that, it's going to make everything that God asks you to do burdensome and frustrating. So if you will turn with me to the book of Jonah, and we'll start with our time. Jonah chapter 1. And what I want you to know is this. How you treat God's word is important, right? Because how you treat God's word reveals what you really think about God himself. How you treat God, right? Not what you say. How you treat God's word reveals what it is that you really think about God and who he is. So Jonah's a man just like himself. He's a guy that's a prophet, right? So he's a guy that's been called to do God's will in God's world. And I want you to know this, just because you don't have a miraculous call on your life that you feel like I haven't heard from the mouth of God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't already have an agenda for you. God's words to you don't have to come from out of the sky for you to feel like I have purpose. God has a general word for all of us, a general call. One through th- so we'll start here, Jonah chapter one, where we're going to read verse 1 through 3 and just really talk through, all right, how we view God's word, how we treat it, it really shows what it is that we think of God. And we're going to ask, what does God want from us and how do we give it? Jonah 1, verse 1 through 3, and it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, 
saying, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I got three points today, and the very first one is this. God always gets the first word. God always gets the first word. When we find ourselves in relationship with people, sometimes when we start to butt heads and we start to argue, right, we spend so much time and we're frustrated, right? You always have to have the last word. Why can't you just let things be? We fight so hard for the last word that we forget the importance of the first word. While the last word may end the conversation, do you know what the first word does? It sets the agenda or the parameters for what it is that we're going to talk through. It defines what a successful conversation is. And I want you to know that God always gets the first word right here in verse one. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Right. God's word turns us. You and I are not people to whom God responds to. God is always the initiator and we're always the responder. God starts things and that should be very good news for all of y'all that may have found your way in here today and you would think of yourself as, man, I'm somebody that's just really trying hard to seek God or to find truth or I want to know what God has for me. The beauty of this is that this is the way that every relationship in the Bible starts. It doesn't start with people talking to God. It starts with God talking to people, initiating a relationship with people. And do you know what that helps us to see? It helps us to be reminded of the fact that you and I are not the main character in this story. Jonah is not the main character in this story. We're so familiar with the details. This is not a story of a guy that doesn't do what God wants him to do, gets eaten by a fish, and then he gets up and he does what God wants him to do. It's not a story primarily about Jonah. This is a story primarily about God and how he interacts with people, both those that would think of themselves as near to God and far from God. Jonah just gives us the backdrop. It's so confusing and it's so hard to grasp this truth because you and I tend to see the world through our perspective. Have you ever been to a wedding? Everybody that's involved thinks that the day is about them. Right? Little ring bears, nervous. The flower girl, she doesn't want to go out because she feels like she's going to mess up. And if she messes up, Lord, Lord, the whole day hangs on her. Right? The preacher stands up there and folks just want to see people get married. And he gives this 45-minute long charge. Everybody thinks that the day is about them. Because you and I tend to look at the world, Horton thing, our perspective, and we can tend to think that our perspective is the most important thing. But the beauty about God speaking first is this, is he reminds us that the most important thing is not to look at the world through our perspective. It's not to look at the world through our eyes. 
But when we look at the world through God's eyes, then what takes place is we get put into perspective. Right? You really get to see a God who lives and sits above the whole world and has seen billions upon billions of people come through and spend a few years here in this world. You really get to see that the big things that you hope to do, right? The ways that you hope to change the world don't really amount to that much in the grand scheme of things. Just based on sheer comparison and quantity, right? God will use us to do great things. But when we look at the world through God's eyes, we get put into perspective. We're not the main character of this story. And we see that a God who initiates with us is gracious. The fact that, right, it starts here. Now the word of the Lord came came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Do you know who Amittai is in the Bible? Jonah's dad right here. He's a nobody. That this God would take time and to speak to nobodies is the thing that's amazing. Right? You know, I was at Spellman's graduation a few weeks ago. And um, so, you know, I'm sitting there. Faith from our church. I, I don't know where she is. Shout out to Faith, who was the valedictorian at Spellman. Right? <laughs> So we're there, you know, I'm in the front row with the rest of these folks here. And guess who walks out of the back? Oprah. Right? Straight up. I'm like, hey, she's here. So she walks out. And as she walks out, everybody, like, stands up. They pull out their cell phone. They take pictures. Wives are mad at their husbands because they didn't pull out their cell phone fast enough to get this snapshot. And, And this one lady that was sitting there in the front row. Oh, does this expire? She calls out a name and she waves. And Oprah does this obligatory wave to her. And this woman was about to melt like you saw it all over her face. Like we, we live in a world where, you know, when somebody has this status and they come through, nobody's are longing, they're searching, they're working just to get a wave, much more a word. And here the God who's created everything comes down and he doesn't just give people an obligatory wave, but do you know what he does? He comes and speaks a word to them. This is beautiful. This is what our God does, but we're numbed to it. We read this and we gloss past this as if it's the beginning to a fairy tale once upon a time in a land far, far away, that things are as they should be. No, the fact that God speaks to somebody is not how things should be. It's something that should cause us to say, wow, I can't believe that a God like that would talk to somebody like him, a nobody. And once again, Jonah's just the backdrop of all of this. It's meant to remind us that This great God has these words and these words come to us. So every word that he gives us is a gracious word. And the thing about the first word is this, that if God gets the first word, then we don't go to God primarily for answers to our problems. Although we have many, we go to God so that he can set the agenda. It's not, can you help me? It's God, what do you want from me? 
It's not, Lord, I really need you to come through right now. It's, I speak, Lord. I'm listening. I hear you. I wonder if you think of all of life like this. I wonder if this is how you view your job. That God gets to set the agenda in that. That if I'm that I wake up and I go to work. It's not, Lord, give me patience with these people, as if I'm always the one in the right. But it's, yo, God, tell me what you want from me here. I wonder if that's how you think about marriage. Lord, give me patience with my wife. Give me patience with my spouse. Just help me to bear under the weight of all of this, as if they're the only one in the marriage that has problems. No, we go to God to set the agenda. Lord, how would you have me to serve? How would you have me to live? And we would be grateful that we serve a God that speaks to us. This is why we make such a big deal about God's word being central and primary whenever we come in. Because one of the beauties that we get to do is we get to come into a place with a group of folks and all hear the same word from God so that we're all held accountable to the things that he calls us to do. We come here week in and week out. And the reason why we choose to go through books is not just that we're lazy and we can't come up with stuff from week to week. We put in a lot of work to make sure that as we say what God says, that we don't just give you half or a piece of what God says. But these books are written to real people like you and I that struggle with the same apathy that we do. And God in his wisdom decided to compile this so that it could be spoken and it could be heard. This is the reason why Wednesday nights, right, we meet here and we have a whiteboard up here and we just go through this trying to teach you how to study God's word. It's not because we can't come up with more exciting things to do. It's because we want the Bible app on your phone to come in handy on more than just Sunday and Wednesday when we're here. We wanted to give you practical use on Friday. The reason why things are kind of stripped down and mere is because you can really tell at times the authenticity of something, the depth of it, when there's not a bunch of distractions around. Right? Have you ever been in a car and you turn that song up loud and you're singing and you're like, I sound amazing. <laughs> and then the song goes off and you keep singing and it's, I sound awful. Your singing didn't change. There were just all of these distractions. And sometimes we can find ourselves in a place and we're so amazed and we can leave and feel like, man, I really engaged with God here. What did he say? Well, I'm not quite sure, but I just had this feeling. What we want to do or our goal is to say, no, listen, when you're sitting down with an interesting person, you turn off the TV, turn off the music. No interruptions and you sit down and talk and somebody that's an amazing conversationalist and storyteller can keep your attention for hours just based on the things that they say. And the God who created the world and created all those amazing people that we would love to spend time with says that he wants to come and spend time with us. 
God always gets the first word, and we should be content to let him have the first word. And more than that, we should prepare to hear his word. So it's not just saying the main thing is that you and I come in here, but it's saying that there is real tangible work that takes place before we come in here. Did you know that you are a worse version of you when you're tired? You all are. I am. It's just something very, very practical. If you call this place your home and you say, man, I come here and I expect to hear from God each week, and you're the type of person that kind of comes in week in and week out, do some preparation on Saturday night. Go to bed. If you're not the type of person that comes here week in and week out, and you just kind of like to pop in here and there, spend the rest of your Saturday nights how you want to. But the Saturday night before you come here, go to bed. You're a better you when you're not tired, and we serve a God that has chosen to speak to us. And how you treat God's word reveals what it is that you really think about God. And if you're content with God and who he is, let him set the agenda. Let him speak first. Now, that's just the first point right there, right? That sounds good, and it sounds great, and it sounds grand, until we realize that you and I find ourselves in a conversation with a God that doesn't always say pleasant things. Look here at verse 2. Right now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God always gets the first word and More than that, I want you to know this about God's word. God's words are good even when they seem unpleasant. God's words are always and ultimately good even if at first or initially they seem unpleasant. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Sometimes God's words are as hard to swallow as they are nourishing. But the very first thing that we see here that's revealed in this is that this great God that speaks these words is a holy God. This God looks at this city and he does two things. He talks about it in terms of how the rest of the world sees it. Go to Nineveh, that great city, that city that everybody fawns over or is perspective or thinks that's great. So he talks about the world from the perspective of the rest of the world, but then he talks about this city from his perspective. Their evil has come up before me. The heights of their achievement don't distract God from seeing the depths of their depravity. It's so often the case with us, though. There's people that we look at and admire, and they look so big and grand that we think, They can do nothing wrong or there's no faults with them. But here's this great God that is speaking a word of critique and judgment on this great city. God is greater than this great city. And God's holy. Which shows us that this earthly greatness and spiritual success aren't the same thing. They are not mutually exclusive. 
you can have one without the other. And that should give us a great word of caution as we do set our goals and aspirations and dreams and plans and schemes for all the things that we want to do here in this world, that all of our works are going to be judged and evaluated by this great God. So we want to pair greatness with goodness and work towards that end. But here's what this word does, though. Right? God's words are always good, even though they don't always seem pleasant. I use that word seem pleasant because at the end of the day, a holy God is a very, very good thing. We think of holiness in terms of the fact that it's repelling or where it's cast away from God's presence. But when the Bible talks about the holiness of God, it's it's an attractive thing. It it gives us great comfort, even in our distorted longing for justice. I was on the Internet this past week and I saw this story of this uh, man, this father who found himself in the courtroom at the trial of the man that murdered his daughter. And there's such rage that builds up inside of him that he lunges at this guy who in the middle of this courtroom has this smirk on his face. And the cops hold him back and he doesn't get a chance to get to him. And do you know what every one of the comments said? I wish that the cops would have just let him go and given him 10 minutes. Why? Because they saw great injustice was done here. And this father had this great care and concern and frustration that he wanted to let his anger go on somebody that deserved his wrath. Now, from our standpoint, right, or from the world's standpoint, they want justice to be served. But that, you know, depending on how you see, that could be a distorted longing for justice. The beauty about God and his standard is that there is no distortion. God is holy. The things that would comfort people about a man like that being punished or the things that are meant to comfort you and I in the midst of a world that does so many people harm. It should floor us at the fact that God looks at this great city that falls outside of the group that he was trying to work with to broadcast or display his glory to the world, that God would look at that and be so frustrated and broken by the evil and injustice that goes on that he wants to do something about it. A God that is unconcerned with evil is a God that's an accomplice to its advancement. A God that just lets things go as is. Now when I say God's concern, God's concern is not always fleshed out in his immediate responding to it, but based on his word, it is fleshed out in the ultimate way that he will respond and make things right. God's holiness and God's justice, though this may seem like a very harsh way to start this book, it's a good thing. And so our first task when we hear God's word is not to sit as judges over God and determine if his word is good or bad based on how initially pleasant it is, but it's for us to get down and to do the hard mental work that it takes to see the good that comes out of sometimes the very grueling things that God says. 
So just a word of caution to all of us that find ourselves existing in a world where people are always evaluating God's standard. Never apologize for something that God has said in his word. What we do when we say, yeah, God said this. I wish that he wouldn't have said this, but this is the way that it has to go. Do you know what that does? It paints a picture of God doesn't know what he's doing. I'm more compassionate than he is. I'm sorry that he said this, but he's the boss and we just got to do what he says. So we don't want to find ourselves as people that try to make ourselves out to be more compassionate than God. We don't apologize for things that God says, nor are we embarrassed by the things that God says. God is not some grumpy old man that is out to ruin our fun and we just have to grin and bear it. But God is a gracious and a loving landscape who's seeking to take out the things that are destructive in order that he can create this garden that flourishes, filling it with all of these good things. And God, who is able to do this himself, calls and invites Jonah into his work. God calls him to serve and to repeat this message. Which should be a charge to all of us. We don't serve a God that's a spectator. We don't serve a God that sits idly by as injustices take place. Not just inside the walls of the church, but outside in the world. We don't serve a God that's silent, nor do we serve a God that calls us to be silent. Do you know what God calls us to do? Not just here in the church, although we do want to make sure that that takes place in order that as a church we present a good picture of who God is. But he calls us back out there in the world to advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves. You don't have to read through the Bible long to see God's passion and heart for orphans and widows and people that are disadvantaged. God is not just set with a group of folks that live here on the southwest side that just sit by and watch the kids that are out here being treated as second-class citizens in the wake of greatness being established in their backyard. He doesn't call us to merely be protesters or picketers. But nor does he call us to be pushovers. He calls us to be active participants in the world of setting things right. And that's why I'm grateful for so many folks that are in here that spend their lives trying to do that. I'm grateful for Pastor Richard who five years ago moved here for that very reason. He he didn't have all the answers, but that didn't stop him from looking for a practical and a real solution. 
Erica Brown with all the stuff that she's doing to advocate for the schools here. While there are people that are actively lying. In the midst of the heights of all the achievements, right? The great city of Atlanta that we live in. Don't let the heights of the achievement and all the goals that are set blind us to the fact that there are things that are seriously wrong. That are on God's heart and he cares about. He involves us in his work. This word of judgment, this word of God's holiness, it doesn't seem pleasant at first, but at the end of the day, we trace that line, and it's something that's very, very good. And so what we want to do is we want to submerge ourselves and immerse ourselves so much in God's word that more than just doing his will, we gain his heartbeat, and we feel the things that he feels about the things that he wants to change. And that serves as great fuel to the fire that makes us productive outside of the times that we gather. God always gets the first word. God's words are always good, even when they seem initially unpleasant. Verse 3, God gives him this great and good charge, and it says this, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. How you treat God's word reveals what it is that you really think about God. And so here's what we don't want to do right here. We don't want to sit here And primarily ask, well, why did Jonah flee? What was his reasoning? Sometimes as we seek out the rationale, it can soften the blow. And it could make us think that somehow his disagreement with God justified disobedience. And I want you to hear this. A disagreement with God never justifies disobedience to God. The point of this, the point for all of us to see here is this. When it comes to doing God's will, clarity is seldom the problem. Jonah did not do what God called him to do because he just didn't know or God was just so unclear. God says to him, get up, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is east of where he is. And the reason why it gives us these places is so that we can plot them on a map. And what you find out was Nineveh was northeast of where he he was. Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is southwest. And then do you know where Tarshish is? All the way west. At this time, it was probably as west as civilization was. So it's like God saying to you, I want you to go to, to Decatur and you get up and move to California. The point of this is this. God's word came to him. God was so gracious. God's word is always good, though it seems unpleasant. And do you know what Jonah did when he heard God's good and gracious word? He went the opposite direction. 
Motives are going to come out later. The first week of next month when we get there. But do you know what comes out right now? We read this and we say, hey, this is what not to do. God doesn't just want hearers, right? God wants heeders, people that listen and pay close attention to the things that he says. It's no boast or no uh, cause of us to stick our chest out for us to say, we're a church that preaches the word. That makes little difference if it's full of people that don't obey God's word. It's not a hallmark. It's not a pin. It's not a measure for us to uh, uh, evaluate ourselves up against any other church because that's not the, the test. People hearing God clearly. Do you know what God wants? People that obey him completely. Clarity's seldom the problem. Romans chapter 1 helps us see this. If somebody, creation makes it clear, the fact that God created this world makes it clear that there's somebody out there that made me, that keeps me breathing, who I am responsible to. And God's word in creation is enough to condemn us. It's clear enough to let us know I have not lived my life the way that God has called me to live my, my life. That there are times when God has been abundantly clear to all of us. And for whatever reason, we think that our disagreements with what God wants us to do justifies our disobedience. Here's what sin does. Here's what rejecting God's wisdom does to us. It's very tricky. Because in our heads, it's always rational. We always have an excuse. Right? Why did you snap? Why did you get so angry with them that you demeaned their character? Did they deserve it? Why did you not do what God clearly called you to do? Why were you so impatient? Why were you so aggressive? Why were you so cold and apathetic? It's always rational in our heads, but do you know what it leads us to do? The most irrational things. Twice here in verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Because God is what we call omnipresent or all places at the same time. Do you know what the most irrational thing to do is? <laughs> to try to run from him, right? If you you seen those cartoons, right, where folks are trying to run from somebody and and then there's this one door, and they're standing right behind that door. And they go, and they run away. And everywhere that they turn, they can't seem to get away from them. This is us. We try to run from God. And sometimes that we, be, we tend to believe that silence 
about the worst things that are going on in our hearts and minds sometimes means that God really doesn't see it. As if God needs us to speak to be able to know what's wrong with us. It's like a kid that closes their eyes and thinks they're invisible to the world because they don't see anybody else. Sin always makes sense in our minds and we justify it. But it leads us to the most irrational of conclusions. And when our disagreements with God lead to disobedience to the clear things that he's called us to do, when we treat his word that way, do you know what it says? It says that God is untrustworthy. I know that he said this, but I can't trust him. I shouldn't trust him. Or it says that God is mistaken or somehow I'm smarter than he is. Ah, well, I know God means well, but he just doesn't know. And every belief that we have in our hearts spreads. It never just stays with us. But everybody that we find ourselves in relationship with catches a whiff of what it is that we believe and the way that we treat God's word reveals what we think of God to the rest of the world. And one of the worst things that could take place is for us to think these things about God, that he's untrustworthy, that he really doesn't know what's best for our lives and have influence with somebody else and we convince them to think the same things and live the same way. It's like us giving God the finger and calling everybody that we know to come along. What would a just God do? What would a holy God do to people that constantly find themselves like that? What should he do to people that constantly find themselves doing that? Do you know what he should do? He should give us the justice that we deserve. And that would actually be the good and the right thing. Because it would keep us from wrongly influencing other creatures that he made and values from doing the same thing. God should do that. Do you know what he does? He sends Jesus. He sends somebody who never disobeyed God at all. Treated God's word in such a way where it, all right, he didn't just come to God when he needed answers, but the Bible would make a point that said he would get up early and go to God before his day was set so that his agenda would be shaped not by what he wants to do, but by the will of the Father. Countless times he says, I, I haven't just come here to do my own thing, but I've come here to do God's thing. And he fulfilled that perfectly and completely. And at the end of the day, do you know what he does? He says, God, all of that justice that you should rightly pour on them, people that haven't done what you've called them to do, give it to me. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what God has done is that 
We don't have to act like we have it all together. We don't have to sit here and be silent about what's wrong with us. We don't have to sit here and try to convince ourselves in our minds why, no, 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 I am a hearer of God's word. I am a heater of God's word. I do the things that God wants me to do. No, we've been freed to be completely honest and say, I'm not that. I try hard and I want to trust him, but I'm not that. I'm broken. But Jesus took the penalty for all of my sin. Jesus has freed me from thinking that sin, right, that shame and guilt is the end of the story. No, shame and guilt just leads me to a place where I'm broken and I can see the beauty of complete that he's done. He trusted God completely. And then do you know what he did? When God's intent was to send him to the cross. And it was a good word, but it seemed like a very unpleasant one that he would have to die. He didn't disobey. He went and dialogued with God. He had a discussion. He prayed and said, Lord, if there's any other way, but if there's not, not, not my will, let your will be done. And this is why the resurrection is so huge, because he dies, but he gets up from the grave as the divine test case to prove to us. God calls him to do hard things, things that seem unpleasant, but they're ultimately good. For us to be convinced of God's goodness, we have to look no further than Jesus and his death and resurrection, that though the road may be hard and exhausting and deadly, God's words are ultimately good. Jesus endears us to God, draws us in, and helps us see that doing God's will, even when it seems hard, is better than the alternative. So here's what we do. How do we take this and apply it? Simple way right here. When, not if, when you find yourself disagreeing with God, have a discussion before making a decision. When you find yourself disagreeing with God, have a discussion with God before deciding what it is that you'll do. The climax of this book is at the end in chapter 4 when Jonah and God talk. And it's then when they talk that Jonah sees at the end of the day, oh, God's main concern was trying to give me his heart, not for him just trying to get me to do stuff. Curb your expectations, right? Expect disagreement with God, it's going to take place. Tim Keller says it best when he says this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. God's different than we are. He's other than we are. We're going to disagree with him. We should know that because he knows it. And we see that successful relationships in the Bible 
It's not just God talks to somebody and they never disagree. It's God talks to somebody, they disagree. They just don't know how what he says is right. But they step back and they talk with him. And they pray and they ask for his guidance and they ask for his help. So a few quick tips as you think of this. One, when you disagree with God, be honest when you find them. Be honest and sincere. Know that the beauty of God is that he already knows what's in your mind. It's something about saying it out loud that brings us to the same page. Be honest. Next, deal with it completely. Don't just be honest one time. Don't pray about it once and then move on. But keep going. Ask him for his help and for his guidance when you just can't be convinced. Thirdly, don't deal with it in isolation. Things make so much sense in our head that when we say it out loud to somebody else, we see just how dumb and foolish all of it is. Right? This is the, this is the beauty of hearing God's word in community. It's because there's people that can hold you accountable, right? Like when I was little and it, it was five of us kids and my, my mom would leave and she would tell us all, make sure this house is cleaned before I get home. So that if she comes home, if the house ain't clean, who's to blame? All of us. The command was crystal clear and it went to all of us. The beauty of this is, is that if one person forgets, there's a slew of folks to remind them. This is the beauty of being here week in and week out or being someplace where God's word is preached. That you have a group of folks that can hold you accountable to the things that God has called you to do. Or you can have people to remind you of the graces that God has provided when you feel like you're at your wit's end. Some of y'all in here have felt the amazing blessing that comes with veering off of the beaten path and having folks that know you and love you beat down your door to pull you back. Some of y'all in here know the amazing hopelessness that comes when you veer off the beaten path and you know that there's nobody that's even coming to look for you. And we don't want anybody to find themselves in that place. Be honest with God where you disagree. Deal with it completely. Don't deal with it in isolation. And lastly, look at the Lord Jesus. Remind yourself that a painful journey doesn't mean a bad ending. God's word comes to us. God is good in the way that he speaks to us. He's kind in the way that he involves us in his work to change our hearts. So I pray that we would be reminded that the way that we treat God's word shows what we really think about God. But once one week, once what we think about God comes to the forefront, it's not the end of our story, the same that it, as it wasn't the end of Jonah's. It just gives us a diagnosis so that we can know where to go next. And I pray that as that comes to the forefront, that you would surround yourself with people that are strong enough to tell you where to go next, even if you can't. Yeah, do it for yourselves. Let's pray.
Father God, again, we're grateful for your word, the fact that it comes to us, the people that are so undeserving of it. God, I pray that you would help us to look past the hard things that you say towards the good uh, that comes behind it, Father. Lord, I pray that nobody in here would feel like they've got to go through this alone or all by themselves, but um, Lord, that you would put it on hearts of those that are in here that have dealt with life in isolation, that um, they would make it their aim to ensure that uh, that the church is a place where folks can come, find this to find the encouragement, the guidance, and the wisdom that they need. So thank you for your kindness to us. We pray that you would continue to be kind, and we would continue to respond to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.